Good morning, church. C.H. Spurgeon once asked if he could reconcile two truths, God's sovereignty and human responsibility. His response is, I wouldn't. I would never reconcile friends. Friends? Yes, friends. This is the point that we have to grasp. In the Bible, divine sovereignty and human responsibility are not enemies. They are not uneasy neighbors. They are not in an endless state of war with each other. They are friends, and they work together. This morning's passage will help us to understand this a bit more. So let's pray, and we'll jump into the text. Father, incline our hearts to your testimonies. Open our eyes that we might behold wonderful things in your word. Unite our hearts to fear your name. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. Amen. The last two weeks, we've seen Jesus shown as the fulfillment of the Old Testament Jewish system, as salvation is found only in him. Jesus uses apologetics to defend who he is and what he came to do, and he also uses evangelism to offer salvation freely to those who believe. And over the next few weeks, we'll have three hard conversations, applying what we've already seen. And the first one is Nicodemus. Let's look at verse 1. turn with me there. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, and this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God, and no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit." Here in our first section this morning, Jesus contrasts the flesh and the spirit, showing our need to be born again of the spirit. So after the temple events, Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night, Nick at night, for those of you who were around in the 80s and 90s. Maybe he's afraid of being seen. Maybe he's desiring to have an uninterrupted conversation with Jesus. Maybe he's a good Pharisee, as it was looked highly upon to study God's word at night. And John often uses terms that have multiple meanings in his gospel. I think John is using the term night to make a bookend of our overall text this morning. The darkness signifies more than just night. By the end of our time, we'll see Nicodemus is in sin and darkness, so he must go to the light of the world to be reconciled to God. Nicodemus, he's a Pharisee. He is a rule keeper. He is of perfect character to signify the old order, the way God's people lived, especially after the Passover we saw last week. Nicodemus, he approaches Jesus with humility, calling him rabbi. We know you're a teacher from God and have done signs, the same signs the Jews demanded last week, signs to justify Jesus' words and actions. And Nicodemus saw the signs, but he didn't understand the signs. 
He's in darkness and unbelief. And what Jesus wants Nicodemus to understand is the full expression of the kingdom of God is not found in the Old Testament. He must be born again. Nicodemus brings up the contrast between the flesh and the spirit because physically it's impossible to be born again. Let the reader and Nicodemus take note. Truly, truly, or verily, verily, or some of your translations might actually use the words from the Greek, amen, amen. Unless you are born of water and the spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. No amount of Bible knowledge, no amount of rule following, no amount of festival keeping makes it possible for one to enter the kingdom of God. Regeneration or being born again is what makes it possible, friends, to enter the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, he was blind. He is in darkness. And what we had read over and over again in the Old Testament, Nicodemus had missed it. He missed the prophets, whose focus was not just on corporate results of obedience, but individual transformation. Nicodemus was confident in his quality of obedience and didn't think he needed it to repent. But with Jesus, individual regeneration is assumed. Confident like a Pharisee, Nicodemus was satisfied with the quality of his obedience and he didn't think he needed to repent. One of my favorite sections of scripture is Ezekiel 36 and 37. Tyler actually referenced it last week. And God says this in Ezekiel 36 verses 24 to 26. I will take from you, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into the own, your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Hundreds of years before the nighttime teaching moment, God said he would change stony hearts to flesh by water and by spirit. In verse 6, which that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That, that which our flesh obeys is just an outward obedience. But what truly matters is that which is on the inside. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And being born of the Spirit of God, being born of an act of God, is being born of the third member of the Trinity. Salvation is an act of the sovereign God of the universe. And we need, friends, a transformed heart. And in verse 7, the language even changes from singular, focusing on Nicodemus, to plural, the lost of the world. Jesus' point is simple. Everyone must be born again. And he uses wind to illustrate this. Wind, it cannot be controlled. I wish I could determine which fruit trees would fall when the wind comes. The, the dead ones or the ones far from the electrical poles would be great. Well, in the same way, you don't know which direction the wind will blow. And you don't know which direction the Holy Spirit will go until you see where he's gone. It is the work of the Spirit to illuminate our understanding of the scriptures. The Pharisee, Nicodemus of the group of people that had the law memorized, who understood the teaching of the Bible so well, so we can, so well that he could quote significant portions of it. No amount of Bible knowledge could save him. Salvation is a result of regeneration, being born again, having eyes to see, ears to hear, and heart to respond to the gospel. Friends, we respond.
God's sovereignty, He uses our free will to respond. Isaiah 29, I think, helps us understand what's going on with Nicodemus. It was prophesied hundreds of years prior to this event at night. Verse 13 and 14. And the Lord said, Because this people draw near with their heart mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men, therefore, behold, I will go again and do wonderful things with this people, with a wonder upon wonder, and wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the discernment of the discerning men shall be hidden. The law keeper. The rule follower who knew God's word didn't get it. Without God's help, we don't either. Before we believe, our hearts are hard. Our ears are stopped. Our minds cannot understand the deep things of God without God's help. And as you open up your Bibles, ask God to help you to understand it. Why do we pray so much on Sundays and why do we want to be a church of prayer? Because we need God's help. Pastor John Piper has four verses he prays when he opens the Bible often. And we prayed them this morning. They're IOUs. Psalm 119, 36, the I. Incline my heart to your testimonies. Or Psalm 119, 118. Oh, open my eyes to behold wondrous things in your word. You, Psalm 86, 11, Unite my heart to fear your name. Or S. Psalm 90, verse 14. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. We need to be born again of the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit that transforms hearts. And so ask God to soften your heart. Ask God to soften the hearts of those around you who you share the gospel with. And just like you, they are responsible to respond. And God delights to help them respond in belief. God desires to help us understand so we can be born again. Jesus contrasts the flesh and the spirit by showing our need to be born again. And next, Jesus contrasts that which is heavenly with that which is earthly, showing our need to believe in him for eternal life. Let's look at verse 9. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen. But you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe them, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended until into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Nicodemus, he is confused. And Jesus sees... Aren't you the teacher of Israel and you don't understand this? And Jesus is making a point. Jesus is emphasizing the gift of God to believe. Way back when the law was written, Moses wrote these words down in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. Oh Lord, the Lord will do it. Or Jeremiah 31, 33. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. God will put the law within them, within us. Both Moses and Jeremiah, they understood salvation is an act of God. And truth can be known, but our minds have difficulty to understand without the grace of God in our lives. R.C. Sproul says, even though the mind is darkened by sin and leads us to futility, 
apart from being captured by the Word of God. The Bible is not saying that the human faculty for thinking is destroyed by sin. Remember back in John 1, Jesus, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Friends, we must be born again. We must believe in his name, and we are responsible to believe in him, to receive Jesus, but it's all a gift. Divine sovereignty and human responsibility, friends, are beautiful. Jesus knows God better than anyone because he has always existed in perfect harmony with the Father and the Spirit. And Jesus can reveal God better than anyone. And as the Son of Man, he came to do so. Jesus does this by being lifted up, another double meaning, lifted up on the cross to die, but also lifted up in honor. Here in this instance he's referencing is Numbers chapter 21. The people of Israel, they rebelled against God and they were impatient after escaping Egypt. They were complaining and they wanted the land immediately. But God disciplined them in their complaining by sending these fiery serpents to bite them and some they died. And the people complained to Moses again and God called Moses to intercede for them and he gave them an escape. And everyone who looked upon this bronze serpent on Moses' staff was saved. And so facing death, Israel had faith to look up and believe that God would save them, like he said he would. So too, we look up to Jesus on the cross, dying in our place for our sins. And in doing so, we are saved from our sins. God was faithful to keep his word to Israel, and he will keep his word to us. This is true gospel, the good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That's all we have to do. Look up to Jesus and believe. Friends, it is only through belief in Jesus where we receive eternal life. And it's only by being born again that we can believe and have that eternal life. These good friends, they work together, divine sovereignty and human responsibility. God acts and makes it possible for us to respond. The Son of Man was lifted up, and that's God's role. Our role is to look up and believe. When we focus on ourselves and our role that I believe, the glory tends to focus on who? It focuses on us. When we focus on the grace of God and saving us, though, who gets the glory? God does. And when we focus on God saving sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, it should cause us to think differently. You've probably heard questions, well, well, why would I even pray if it's all up to God? But maybe you should be asking the question, if it wasn't up to God, why would we even pray to begin with? May it never be said of our church that we were so focused on ourselves to miss the grace of God in our lives and the lives of those around us. May it never be said of our church that we are so focused on ourselves where we miss the grace of God available to sinners like us. Good friends, they work together. God makes our pos belief possible and it's beautiful. Jesus, he contrasts the flesh and the spirit showing our need to be born again of the spirit. Jesus contrasts that which is heavenly with that which is earthly, showing us our need to believe in him for eternal life. Finally, Jesus contrasts darkness and light, showing salvation from the condemnation of God by the grace of God. We'll pick it back up in verse 16, one of the most, if not the most famous verses in all of the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life.
For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes into the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Jesus, he finally becomes the teacher that Nicodemus was hoping to meet. And this is his logical argument. The world, the cosmos, those who are not God's people, us, God loves so much that he sent his son for the purpose of dying and rising. Jesus is concerned about the world, those who are not his people. And the same belief that gives eternal life that we saw in verse 15 is the same belief we put in the Son so that we would not perish. Here alone, in John's Gospel, the love of God for the rebellious world is the reason for the incarnation and the death of Jesus. Not because we've done things to deserve his love, but because he loves us first. Love is the reason for God's sovereignty and saving sinners. Other religions call people to appease a God. Do this and be saved. Do that and have a chance for eternal life. If their God wakes up on the wrong side of the bed, there's no guarantee. But our God, the God of the Bible, the God of Christianity, begins and ends with God's grace and God's love for us. Only those who believe receive eternal life, and we must respond to the gospel. In the next couple verses, they show it's not for everyone, though. God sent his son to save the world, not to condemn the world. The world was already condemned. Those who don't believe continue on the path of condemnation they are already on. John's favorite designation for Jesus He's the son sent from the father. And it's the sent son's incarnation, his death, and his subsequent resurrection from the dead where salvation is directed and available to all of humanity. And since salvation is only in the son and through faith in that son as revealed in God's word, what Jesus accomplishes on our behalf is also a means of judgment. Friends, to not believe in Jesus leads to final judgment and condemnation that sinners are due. Ephesians 1 says we are dead in our sins, all of us, living in the passions of our flesh. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his love, when we were dead, he makes us alive. He regenerates our hearts. He makes us born again, and he saves us by his grace. Everyone is judged. That's not a word the Bible, that is the word the Bible uses. For those who believe in Jesus, we are judged to eternal life. But to those who do not believe in Jesus, they're judged to their final condemnation and everlasting torment forever. And this is why John wrote his gospel. Remember John 20. Now Jesus did many other signs, those signs that Nicodemus saw, in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Friends, Jesus came to bring salvation, to bring life, to, to, but some don't believe and will not receive that eternal life but they will receive the final condemnation as their judgment, which they're already on their way to. Jesus illustrates this by contrasting and talking about darkness and light. 
judgment. It is exposed by truth. It is exposed by God's word. John 1, 17, For the law was given through Moses, and grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. God shows the world our need for a Savior in the Bible, but the Bible also is God's mean to show us who the Savior is. When I read the Old Testament, when I read God's word, I'm reminded of the fact that I'm just not that good. I continue in sin, and God's word continues to show me I'm not perfect. But grace comes from Jesus. Grace upon grace, like those waves we've talked about, crashing over you over and over again. And Jesus says those who do wicked hate the light. Those who want to continue in their sin don't come to the light. And the light exposes the truth via God's word. And sin is exposed as sin. Many times you hear a skeptic say, well, I just don't believe that. It's, it's hard to understand. And I think more often it's, I don't want to live a life that is in a life of repentance and change because they don't want to believe because that means they would have to make a lifestyle change. And those who continue in sin, they're like Gollum from the Lord of the Rings. Remember? His precious, that which has captivated him, had held him as a slave master. He couldn't get it, give it up and let it go, and eventually it killed him. But whoever does what is true, whoever follows God's word and keeps the law we see in verse 21, comes into the light. Those who love, follow and love Jesus, they acknowledge their sin. They repent and they turn away from their sin. And as we continue in this life, we will still sin. But God still loves. God in his infinite amount of grace still has grace for us again and again. Legally speaking, God reckons our sin to Jesus on the cross and he reckons to us Jesus' righteousness. But these friends, they still work together, don't they? We have a responsibility for our sin. We are the ones who should die. But God does the work by putting his wrath on Jesus because he loves us. Jesus in verse 21 says, this work is carried out by God. We have a responsibility, friends, to respond, but God does the work. These are good friends. God's sovereignty allows us to trust in the promises of God. He will save us from our sins. As R.C. Sproul notes, if there is one single molecule in the universe running around loose, totally free of God's sovereignty, that we have no guarantee that a single promise of God will ever be fulfilled. Not even Nicodemus, a prominent member of the Jews, is automatically permitted to entrance into the kingdom of God, salvation or eternal life. Like us, he needed to be born again. He needed to believe in the Son of God, and faith in Jesus saves sinners from the judgment and condemnation we are due, and nothing else. In John 19:39, we see that there's proof of change in Nicodemus. After Jesus was crucified, Nicodemus, he participated in Jesus' burial in the daytime when all the Judas leaders and all the people around him could see him. Nicodemus believes. Nicodemus is born again. Nicodemus receives eternal life after he meets with the light of the world, the Word made flesh, the Son of God. No longer is he in darkness, he's in the light. The logical argument works backwards, too. In summary, the world is condemned, but God so loved the world to send his son, Jesus, so we would believe in him to have everlasting life. But to believe, one must be born of the Spirit. We believe by the grace of God, and God saves us. We cannot do this on our own. Friends, God couldn't love sinners if it wasn't for Christ Jesus. Sinners are condemned 
already. The gospel isn't God overlooking our sin. God, the gospel isn't God has a wonderful plan for your life, as many in our world suggest. Friends, outside of Christ, it's not wonderful. And when Martin Luther was asked about what he contributed to his salvation if God saves, his response was, my sin. That's why Jesus needed to die. That's the gospel. That God must account for sin, and he does so with his only son. The friendship between God's sovereignty and our responsibility, friends, is amazing. Focus on God's work, his grace, his love, and mercy to those already condemned, including you and I before we believed. Our response should be humility and worship and purity. Humility as God brings about our salvation, not us. Worship because he deserves all of our praise, gratitude, and our life in response to his grace. And purity, to be holy as God is holy because it was the unholiness that we have that put Jesus on the cross. Nicodemus was changed and transformed and he came out into the light. And so too we can come out into the light. Let our sin be exposed as sin and rest in the grace of the light of the world who died to save his people from those sins. If that's you, and you haven't told anyone to be like Nicodemus, make it known to all you are born again. You have eternal life and be saved. If you're born again and already believe, whether it's been five minutes or 50 years, rest and worship God for the grace he has given you to your life. Be humble, be thankful, be holy, be worshipful. It should be natural so as God to transform you. It should be natural as God transforms you more and more to worship in spirit and in truth. Friends, God loves you because he loves you. Not because we do things to be loved. He's good and gracious and merciful. And he uses our free wills to respond. It's a beautiful friendship. So let's pray and we'll spend some more time worshiping together. Father, we thank you for the grace you have bestowed upon our life, for calling us out of darkness, for transferring us to the kingdom of your beloved Son. God, would you help us to believe that? Would you help us to rest in that? Would you help us to be humble in that and be pure and holy in that? And God, would you help us to exalt you, to worship you because of that? And we want to do that right now. Be honored in the rest of our time together in all that we say and all that we do and all that we are. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.